it was getting kind of desperate. I I didn't know what was wrong, but I just felt I couldn't cope anymore. It manifested in the end from me just becoming somebody else, actually. I didn't even recognise myself. Have you ever really stopped to wonder what makes you, you? Why you think the way you do and feel the things you feel? This is Your Amazing Mind, and this podcast is here to help you understand why your mind is so amazing. I'm Michael Pearson, Deputy Head of Student Counselling at the University of Bristol. And what we're doing in this podcast is opening up conversations about the biggest mental health issues affecting students, young people, and everyone. In each episode, you'll hear a student's frank and thoughtful experience of a particular mental health issue. And then we'll get together with a special guest to help you realize that there are people out there that might just get what you're going through and to give you some advice to help you feel just that little bit better. In this episode, we're talking about anxiety, something really close to my heart, literally. The pounding pulse, the tightness in your chest, the dread, and the fear that everything is about to fall apart. But remember, you're not the only one. Coming up, we'll be chatting to world-famous drag queen and star of RuPaul's Drag Race, Ms. Cracker, and hearing about her willingness to talk openly about her experiences of living with anxiety. Brian's one of our students, and this is his heartfelt story of how he has struggled with, recovered from, and still lives with anxiety. At the time, I didn't realise what it was. I had no idea. I started having really bad nightmares where I was being very violent, where I was being attacked physically. And I was defending myself very violently. So it was bloody and scary. And this was happening every night. In work, I would find myself in meetings particularly on the defensive by being aggressive with my answers to people if I disagreed with them. And I would get tunnel vision, so I would be angry at somebody instantaneously. It wasn't a build-up. It was an immediate anger. And I became quite aggressive. And that got worse and worse, actually. It was feeling like being trapped. It's like an adrenaline rush. I, I used to sit near the door. So I, at least I felt like if I wanted to get out of the meeting, I could. And then I felt like I was paranoid. Everybody was against me. Coping with it became a massive problem. And um, I realised then things had gone too far. That was the lowest, that was low. I was getting kind of desperate. I, I didn't know what was wrong, but I just felt I couldn't cope anymore. It manifested in the end from me just becoming somebody else, actually. I didn't even recognise myself. When you've got adrenaline pumping through your body, you, you'd need to do something to release it. I get very twitchy, bouncing my leg up and down. So almost inside your body's twitching away. Not visibly necessarily, but inside you. Physically, it's like 
being lost and you can't find your way back. It's like going for a walk, getting lost and no idea where you are. Actually, I had some dreams like this where I could see that where I was trying to go, but I couldn't find the road to where I was supposed to end up. So um, I was doing my GCSE English four or five years ago, and um, I started getting keen on writing some poetry. So I wrote a poem basically about how I wasn't on my own. I live on my own, but I wasn't on my own because I had demons for company, which is the title of a poem. And I showed this to my best friend, actually, and she said, you need help. And uh, I thought, okay, I do. But um, it possibly took a year for that to happen. So it was a long process because accepting you've got a problem was difficult. Um, If I hadn't written that poem, I would have probably got sacked (laughs) from my job. The company I worked for at the time had a mental health 24-hour helpline. So I rang them, explained what my problem was, and they had somebody ring me back the next day, actually. And it was they they that identified the problem as an anxiety. I didn't know what it was. No clue whatsoever. Identifying the type of problem was part of the recovery process. I felt I shouldn't have this. I, I can't have this because I'm successful I I can do my job well and um, accepting that there was a problem was tough because being a bloke especially you feel you can cope with anything the best way I can describe this is many years ago there was a famous footballer that played for Liverpool and Nottingham Forest he had a mental health problem and at the time I think it was depression I thought, what the hell has he got to be feeling bad about or being depressed about because he's wealthy and he's got a fabulous life? So I dismissed it. It's only when you have a problem yourself and it's tough accepting that you have got a problem, then that's a real slap in the face and it makes you question many decisions you may have made in the past and the way you've treated people as well. And that's tough to accept. When I rang this helpline for mental health, as I said, I didn't know what was wrong. That I told someone who was able to help me. That was a relief in itself. So that that was the biggest turning point for me, was actually speaking to a health professional that could help me. After I finished the counselling and recovery, I stopped having the nightmares which was a clear sign that um, I was more in control of my life again. It was like, wow. But um, it's a lengthy process and I'm much more knowledgeable uh, and I recognise it much better. American drag queen Miss Cracker is best known for coming in fifth place on the 10th season of RuPaul's Drag Race and for being runner-up on the fifth season of Drag Race All-Stars. She's a singer, has her own web series, and now has her own incredible podcast, She's a Woman, giving a platform to incredible women 
their lives and their achievements. For me, one of her biggest achievements is talking openly, fluently and beautifully about living and dancing with anxiety. I remember I was having my first panic attacks and when I was like 10 years old. Anytime there was a situation that was a lot of stimulus and a lot of decisions to be made all at once, I would just have these like terrible chest pains and uh, heart palpitations and it would just make me sit down where I was. And I didn't know um, what they were at the time. And I remember going to the doctor, and our doctor was an idiot, by the way. <laughs> if you're out there <laughs> at listening, um, you're a moron. He was like, well, it could be your trachea getting caught in your ribs. He was like Dr. Spichemin from 30 Rock. <laughs> I, was like my, I was like 10 years old, and I was like, my trachea getting caught in my ribs? What the does that mean? Is that, uh, is that even a thing? Can I, that happen? That's not a thing. And I just remember it left an impression on me because I was like, the shoulder bone's not connected to the hip bone. You know, the trachea is not connected to the ribs. Like, I don't, I know that this is not a thing. Um, and um, he was just trying to throw words at me because he thought I was a kid and I was alone and I wouldn't be able to. So, yeah, that's what was going on. And there was really uh, no way for me to engage with it at all because I had no idea what was happening. So it stayed with me forever. It stayed with me. And it stayed with me right up through season 10, living with low-level anxiety, always waiting for when the next anxiety attack or panic attack would come down on me. And I know that there's a lot of other people that live that way too. Absolutely. I, I think we, we all experience it on this podcast, and we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, you, you talk really proudly about being Jewish and your culture, and it's really important to you. I couldn't help wondering if you think that um, being Jewish and societal views, marginalization, prejudice, etc., might be part of that anxiety. Well, uh, in like the baldest terms, my sister and I were told on the playground in elementary school that we were going to hell because we were not Christian and we were in a predominantly cr Christian community. So that was nervous making. Um, mm, but I that's going to do it. Yeah, that that'll do it for you. Like I was worried for my immortal soul. Um, there was that aspect on it, but I like, in a, I think in a more subtle way, Jewish culture is infused with anxiety. Uh, the way that we study our texts is not to say, well, this quote means this. Uh, the way that we look at the Torah and other Jewish texts is to be like, well, it could be this, it could be that, but it could have been translated like this. We don't know. So there's a lot of not knowing that is infused in the way we look at the world. And I think that causes anxiety for uh, people of Jewish descent. It's like built into the way we see the world. And uh, aside from the fact that I think from our parents, we hear what you, you know, you may need to be on the run at any point in your life because you never know what's going to happen. That's always what you hear from your Jewish parents. I think aside from that, like physical thing, I think that there's a cultural thing too. Absolutely. Not, not knowing, to some extent, is the absolute definition of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Not knowing about what's coming and being scared of it. I, I don't like not being in control. Mm. So, uh, of course, you're not in control of your destiny. I get that. But anxiety for me is unable to control what's going to happen in the next hour kind of thing. Very right. short term. Yeah. As opposed to long term. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't worry what's going to happen in 10 years' time. Or to your immortal soul. <laughs> or to my immortal soul. No, in fact, although this is probably a bit extreme, I'm looking forward to dying. Not that I want to die, don't get me wrong. Right. I'm not contemplating suicide or anything. I'm quite looking forward to the unknown and death. So it's a little bit different. <laughs> So the, the the not the not knowing and the lack of control is the the fear for you, and that will be the fear for so many people out there. It certainly is for me, honestly. It is for me. I think life is exciting, and and what's hap- going to happen around the corner is exciting. But I like to have a bit of a plan. It doesn't matter if it mm. doesn't quite work out. Yeah, I, I get that. I think over planning can have that impact as well. Mm. I think there's balance. Yeah. Uh, Miss Cracker, I, I want to come back to you uh, and talk about some of your memes, which I love. So you, you have some brilliant memes with Jan, uh, Electra, the, the wonderful Dominique uh, Bremner, portraying your anxiety almost as a, another person inside of you, which is familiar to me. Um, is that right? Is your anxiety almost like somebody else inside of you? And could you explain a little bit more about that? So sometimes it feels like another voice, you know, and I, I think that those times are more enjoyable. Um, but I think more recently I've found that I become another person when I am anxious. It's not a separate thing. It's just all of me is anxiety. I, I had this um, an anxiety attack on Wednesday, which is a couple of days ago now, and I was like, I've always been anxious. I'm always going to be anxious. Is life worth it like this? Because... The anxiety was my past, my future, my presence. It was everything. It was all I could see. And um, at that point, it didn't feel like a separate person. It felt like uh, just every fiber of my being. And when I went to bed the next night and it was over, I was like, I don't, I don't even remember what I was thinking. Everything's fine. You know, <laughs> like, I don't even think it was that bad while it was happening. You know, and, and like it then I then I became I don't want to say myself, but I became a calm self. So it's almost like having two lives. Mm, yeah, when you're experiencing it that intensely, it's overwhelming. It's mm. absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, and when it passes, it's gone. Yeah. Life's okay. You're just like, next time I have it, I'll tell myself, Sally Forth, carry on. Keep a step out of her lip and pull yourself <laughs> up by your bootstraps because it's not that bad. But then when it's actually happening, you, yeah, you can't do it. <laughs> My experience is, is it's like an out-of-body experience that you only look at afterwards and you can replay it in your mind mm-hmm. and there's nobody else in the room even though there's lots of people and I only see one person yeah. and it's only after, as I say, only afterwards I think, well, there was lots of people there. What did they think of my behaviour? But when you're in that state, don't you almost try and imagine what everyone's thinking? And that's absolutely crippling. You're trying to be psychic. Yeah, only afterwards. And it's a feeling of guilt afterwards, mm. you know, fear of their thoughts, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Miss um, Cracker, um, I, I listen to your uh, podcast. Um, she's a woman. Yeah. I, I should say it in, in the way, shouldn't she's I? She's a I woman! Just, I, <laughs> Um, there was an episode with Rachel Bloom, mm. brilliant episode, um, and you talk about how people didn't realise that you were, or didn't really realise you were still experiencing anxiety in All Stars. Right. Um, but you say you were, that it, it was still there. Um, is that 
true, it was intense and it was still there. And was anything different about that experience? I mean, I think it was worse. And I think that because it was worse, I just had to learn how to surf over it and live with it and use it to be fuel. In season 10, I told myself that if I were, if I was anxious, I was a bad drag queen. Mm. And in All Stars, I was like, if you're anxious, then you're just like everybody else, so it's okay. So I was living with the same anxiety. I just wasn't punishing myself for being anxious, if that makes sense. Um, and I think in the podcast, I said that I learned to crowd surf on my fears, and that's really sort of what I did. I just jumped in and yes. and did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, we, it's almost like a, a meta emotion sometimes when we have anxiety and then we're anxious or we're angry at the fact we're anxious. Mm. But you're, I think what you're saying is that second time, that 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 layer was removed. You're still anxious, you're still experiencing anxiety, but you're less pissed off at yourself for experiencing it. That's right. I really love your quote about anxiety, which I've, I've used since I've heard it, um, saying, dancing with your demons. Mm. So I, I've always talked about walking side by side with my anxiety. Yeah, I'd love to hear in your words, what do you mean by dancing with your demons? I think um, you can spend a lot of time running from them. That is to say, well, I'm not going to do anything until I get rid of them. And that's never going to work out. So what you learn to do instead is whatever you can do while your demons are around. So that means, well, I'm too anxious to write today, but I can style a wig. I can comb hair. Okay, now I'm too anxious to comb hair, but I can tidy up the studio a little bit. Um, Do you know what I mean? You step Mm -hmm. wherever your demons allow you to go and you keep going instead of just freezing and stopping altogether and saying like, well, I'm anxious today, so I'm going to stop everything until it's over. Mm. You make best of what you can do with that demon Mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah, I I really get that. And I think that's pretty helpful for for people that might be listening and thinking, when is my anxiety going to stop? When's when's the day that this is going to be over? And and for maybe not everyone, but for some people and a lot of people, I, I think anxiety stays with you. Right. But you learn how to walk with it, how to dance with it, how to do something differently with it. And and, and that's how you can live with it. I remember in our like sexual education that I received in sixth grade in public school, it was like, you know, you're going to get acne and you might have some emotional difficulties from like, uh, you know, 13 to 18. And so I went through from 13 to 18 with a terrible acne and horrible anxiety. And I was like waiting for 18 to come for it to be over. Well, now I'm a- anxious and I'm still using skin medication and I'm 36. So I was lied to and I'm furious. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, similar to the question uh, about being Jewish, and uh, I'd like to ask a little bit more about being LGBTQ+. plus. You identify as a gay man, is that correct? Identify as queer now, that's what I'm doing. Queer? Mm-hmm. Okay, I identify as queer also. Um, I wanted to know whether whether you felt there was something qualitatively different about your history of anxiety because of being queer. I mean, I think constantly trying to play a part, trying to convince other people that you're straight or that you're not queer... Um, depending on what day it is, 
is extremely nervous making. I think it you have to have a self-awareness, an awareness of your body that I don't think anyone else has to put up with. And I think in the same way that being Jewish made me feel on the outside of things, I, I think that being queer made me feel on the outside of things too. And, and I think that to be in the habit of uh, deceiving people and fashioning yourself into this something else is a, is a habit that you can't, it's hard to break. Um, so I think it carries on into your life. You have to constantly be on the lookout for it. And that's nervous making. Absolutely. I can empathize with that. I think it stays with you. And there is something about fear of exposure, I think. That, that's certainly something I've never lost, that that secret, that fear of exposure that ca- carries with you. Yeah. Um, but Brian, is that different for you as a heterosexual um, man, mature student? What do you think is different about your anxiety? Interesting listening to both your experiences, I, I have a fear of people finding out I have anxiety or I did have. Um, so I didn't tell my family for many, for a long time. I, I appreciate it's a completely different, you know, a different kind of problem. But my fear was being discovered as a fraud where I, I wasn't as in control and I hesitate to use the word manly, but I wasn't in as much control as I wanted everybody to believe. So in some ways I was lying to them, but I was also lying to myself. But I don't know how either of you cope with hiding your life. My hat's off to both of you for for dealing with it. Also, though, there's so many expectations for straight men to follow, I think it must be create a lot of anxiety, like you're saying, to be like, well, maybe I'm not as manly and macho as people think you know that's that's extremely um burdensome you're set up to be strong you're set up being told you're great you're right you're perfect and they're huge expectations to stand up to and and i think that can fall down very quickly and and that's exactly what you're describing in some ways there's a there's a fear of exposure in, in both realities it might be different it's a different experience but i think there's something we can probably link to to each other and understand so i'd like to start to ask now as we're finishing up and coming to the end we'll have people listening to this that experience anxiety so some of those experiencing crippling anxiety and through our perspectives and experience of this um i wondered if you would share some pointers i guess of what would you suggest people can do first steps to deal with their anxiety? And I'd like to ask you first, Brian, what would be your couple of top tips? That the feeling that you have, the anxious feelings you have, will abate a little to allow you to move. So the fear, the scary thing about it, will pass eventually. And be kind to yourself. Don't feel guilty for having an event. You know, it's a normal thing for many, many people. So you're not alone, mm-hmm. but don't feel guilty for it, I would say, because guilt is the biggest fear for me anyway. Absolutely. Thank you. And Ms. Cracker, same question to you. I mean, my I don't know if it's advice, but just like, you're not ever going to really win. So 
if you have a anxiety attack or a panic attack and you don't handle it well, it's fine. You know, a lot of people are going through the same thing and better luck next time. But don't, I think we can all agree, don't punish yourself for not winning over your anxiety or not handling it right or not using all the tools in your kit correctly or whatever they say. You know what I mean? Like just... Just be like, you know, we got dealt a blow today, and that's all right. It's but it's a battle um, that's part of a larger war. So you know, don't take every defeat as as so serious. Mm, yeah, it's going to keep coming. Anxiety is going to keep coming, but you can dance with it or war with it in a different way to make it work for you. Yeah, I'd like to say a huge. Thank you to you both. Brian, you're an absolute pleasure. I've loved talking to you. You've been wonderful. Thank you. Miss Cracker, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Of course. I hope people listening to this will take something from what you've both said. Huge thank you. Take care, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Can't wait to come back to Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> when you're here, say hi. I will. <laughs> A huge thanks to Miss Cracker and Brian for sharing their stories and taking part. If you're affected by the issues raised in this podcast, check out the episode notes for links to relevant support. Some of the best ways to combat mental health issues is through conversation. So don't be afraid to talk to someone you trust. And if you know anyone that might be struggling with these issues, please share this podcast with them. This has been an 1860 production for the University of Bristol. Producer was Ronan Bishop.